brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Hey, welcome everybody. All right, we're going to be talking about the topic of sexual misconduct today. I mean, sexual misconduct is really taking a turn in our society today across the world, uh, especially in England and possibly Europe, but especially in the United States. We're seeing it on politics. We're seeing it in entertainment. But I can tell you sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, sexual assault, all these types of things take place on a daily basis, and it needs to stop. And what's good is that today uh, it is making a turn in a way that people are having to rethink, especially if you're a man, you have to rethink how you communicate with people, how you touch people. And, and, you know, sexual misconduct can also have verbal it doesn't have to be touching. It doesn't have to be assault. It can it can be coming, uh, you know, flashing or groping or, uh, you know, touching or verbal uh, comments, sexual comments, uh, rape even. You know, people really make stupid mistakes out there. A lot of people uh, will go to work conventions and then find themselves uh, in hotel rooms with each other. People go to, uh, you know, into positions of, of power where they've never had power and they're probably not the most attractive person and uh, end up being some someone that uh, ends up in a position where they take advantage of the idea that people that are attractive are working for them and now they use that position of power to try to influence them, uh, basically making them fear of losing their jobs by stepping over the line on a continuous basis. Um, this can be something that is extremely, extremely difficult for most people to deal with. You know, the people that receive this sexual misconduct, the people that receive harassment, assault, this stuff never, it affects them in so many different ways because they're afraid. They become afraid. Their image of themselves becomes less than because now, if it's especially in the workforce, it's in their job, now they have to think about that alongside of doing their job and then knowing with the secrets that they keep, that they have to live with that and deal with this person who has dealt with them wrongly and, and treated them as an object. And basically that is what happens when things are one-sided, when meaning that someone is approaching you on a one-sided basis, you're not approaching them for a sexual situation, but they continuously or at one time approach you for a sexual situation. Uh, that's inappropriate. And what's wonderful is, is in the United States at least, businesses have guidelines and policies about sexual harassment. The government has guidelines and policies about sexual harassment. Unfortunately, uh, the people who write the laws don't follow the laws they wrote. And as we can see, there's a lot of unfairness in that. That They, they too are in a position of power and influence, and most of them are, quite frankly, very ugly. And so, yes, they're going to love being approached sexually or love having the position that they're suddenly looked at differently because of their position. And so, folks, you know, it's important that, you know, this dialogue has to shape itself into a philosophy, and that is that people are not objects. People are people. People are people. 
And you have to look at a person as a person. You don't want to look at them with an agenda. If you're going to look at people with an agenda, bad things happen. Bad things happen because we turn them into objects. And so many people, millions and probably billions of people over the years have gone through sexual harassment, sexual molestation, sexual misconduct on a continuous basis. We are animals and we have to recognize that we are animals in a social environment and we cannot use our animal instinct to try to influence other people. If it's not a two-way dialogue, it's not a dialogue that needs to happen. And so, you know, we have to self-regulate. And what's sad is that we're in this day and age now where people are in small businesses, which is also a position of power, where small business owners or managers and people, uh, even doctors and lawyers and all kinds of stuff, are in positions where they have the ability because they may have people's life in their hands. They may have to you know, be influential to major decisions or their finances, and they use that position to, to do this misconduct. And what will happen in, to, the, to those people is they're going to lose their livelihood if that is exposed. And we're in a day and age where I would suggest to you that a lot of people out there are going to have to rethink how they approach the opposite sex or even the same sex if they happen to be either uh, bi or homosexual. You know, we have to begin to understand how to regulate. And that starts with you, me, and everybody. All of us are going to have to understand that this cannot happen. And it's so good that it's happening out in the media openly because what's happening is now we're seeing the damage it can do. I could care less about these multimillionaires who views their position of power. I care more about the everyday person that has stepped over the line and looking at their little kids and looking at their home and looking at their wife and, and recognizing that they followed a, a social conduct that was somewhat acceptable. It's a silent thing that has happened out there. And what's important is that we as a society, need to come together and try to reset the table and call it as we see it and be able to stop it before it turns into something that destroys someone's life. Because once you destroy, a, 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 let's say, a small business owner's life or a, or a doctor, a lawyer, you're also destroying a career that could be helping people. We have got to curb and take responsibility for ourselves Now's the time, and it's beautiful that it's happened in such a way that people are recognizing that there's all kinds of characters out there that have used their power, and most of them, once again, ugly, either ugly people or ugly uh, on the outside, and they've used their positions of power and abuse. And so this is a good day for, for women, for men, for everybody to recognize that we have to be safe we have to be safe in our society for us to grow as people, for us to learn from each other. If we're not safe, what happens is, is that we begin to live a defensive life. And when you live a defensive life, like people in third world countries, you do not grow. Uh, you, you don't find them uh, being able to go into outer space or, or, or taking a trip to the moon or building new technology in third world countries simply because they have to survive Every single day. And when you have no real good law enforcement, when you have no set of laws that are really going to be held accountable, uh, what happens is, is that people are, are like meat and they have to band together and they have to be loyal to each other. Uh, and that means that, uh, you know, 
we, we end up living a lifestyle where we can't evolve. The beautiful thing about free countries and, and open countries like the United States, like Europe and England, some parts of all of them, is that we are free and safe and able to create. And we need to be able to be that way within our workforce. We need to be that way in our homes. And so that's the big thing that the reason I wanted to go into this the, to this show. So once again, what who's really going to be damaged by this whole dialogue that's happening? If it's in its very dramatic way, is the middle class, the small business owners, have to change. They have to change their ways, and that may be. They, they may have to take some accountability for their behaviors, apologize, and see what they can do to, to make accountability to the people that they have destroyed because you've created an enormous amount of victims. If you've done any kind of sexual harassment, misconduct, assault, those kind of things, it's going to come back on you, especially in this day and age. So what is social learning theory? It is a theory of learning and or social behavior which proposes that new behaviors can be acquired by observing and imitating others. And it states that learning is a cognitive process that takes place in a social context. And it can occur purely through observation or direct instruction, even in the absence of uh, motor reproduction or direct reinforcement. In addition to the observation of behavior, learning also occurs through the observation of rewards and punishments. So the process is known as a, a, a vicarious re- reinforcement. And so when a particular behavior is rewarded regularly, it will most likely persist. And so what happens is uh, people that are predatory sexually will tease, will, will test the water with lots of people and see it in, in, in an experimental way if it's going to lead to a conclusion that they're hoping for. And so a lot of things get done and if they get enough positive response or or get enough uh, feeling that it's okay to do that behavior, they tend to do it over and over and over again. So what we have to learn is that has to end. It has to end. Um, And so this is a relearning. Uh, This is a society correcting itself, and it's important. You know, in societal, uh, in uh, sociology, deviance describes an action or behavior that violates social norms including a formally enacted rule, like a crime, and as well as an in, in, informal violations of social norms, like rejecting folkways and, and more. It is a, a purview of criminologists, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, sociologists to study how these norms are created and how they need to change over time and how they're enforced. So, you know, what's important is we have to have a, a guideline within ourselves, within our society of a behaviors that are accepted and are not accepted. Sexuality is not something that you want to put on the table in front of someone, especially someone that it's uninvited. If they're not receiving it well, you need to back off. And and the thing is, it's really not a good place in the workforce to do sexuality at all because what it does is it creates a sense of of, of of distraction and it also creates a sense of feeling uh, confused and the sexual attraction may not always stay um, after uh, somebody gets into a honeymoon phase it may die and may what may happen it turns to resentment from one partner and the other partner it may turn to glad it's over but you know bottom line is that's not something that you want to cultivate because 
once again, responsibility has to come to play. In sexuality, we all have to also take accountability and take responsibility. So, you know, I'm not trying to, to lecture, but what I'm trying to get into is what is the basis of sexual harassment? Well, it, you know, it's pretty simple stuff. It's, uh, you know, unusual uh, nature of sex-based behavior. It's deliberate and or repeated. It, it's not welcomed. It's not asked for and it's not returned. And there are many types of sexual harassment and behaviors, which includes uh, sexual teasing, jokes, remarks, gestures, pressure uh, for dates, um, letters, phone calls, uh, material of sexual nature, sexually suggestive looks or gestures, uh, deliberately touching, uh, brushing up against, or leaving, uh, leaning over, or uh, uh, um, cornering, or even pinching. And, and then pressure for sexual uh, favors can be a part of harassment, uh, actual or attempted rape or sexual assault, um, mooning, flashing, uh, being the, you know, can you imagine a person going, I have to work with this person and, or I have to work for this person, let's say, and now I know what their private part is. I mean, how could you not get that image out of your head? You know, being the, the victim of sexual rumors, having one's clothing pulled in a sexual way or being uh, uh, shown or given or left unwanted pictures. Uh, these are all ways of sexual harassment, being forced to kiss someone, having one's uh, clothes pulled off or down or being spied on uh, while you're dressing or taking a shower. So why do people harass at work? Well, sexual harassment is above all a manifestation of power relations. Women are much more likely to be victims of sexual harassment. I mean, think about it. Women uh, didn't really enter the workforce in true fashion, especially in management positions and owner positions until uh, during World War II. And, and during that time, women entered the workforce with men. And guess what? Now, all of a sudden, we have the dynamic of sexuality and the workforce, which wasn't necessarily always there. And uh, laws had to be put in place, at, and people started to recognize that, hey, we can't have this behavior at work. We can't have all this kind of crap happening. And so laws started slowly and slowly to be generated. But it's only been uh, uh, 60, 70 years that these laws began to come about or that women actually integrated into the workforce. And it's only been about 20 to 30 years where these, la these laws and guidelines have been tightened up. And so what we have to understand is that, hey, you know, this is an evolution, and finally the evolution is starting to bloom into something where we are no longer tolerant of people looking at people as sexual objects and addressing them in a sexual way, but actually just addressing them as a person. It doesn't mean we can't uh, go out on dates or stuff, but I'll tell you, this, this, uh, the holidays uh, and conventions and all kinds of places where people drink and get together – that is the environment where a lot of this crap happens and starts. Places that are one-offs, places that are private, places that offer a chance to get away. They, these kind of environments, especially with drinking, can cause a whole lot of damage to people's lives. And so you may want to think twice about how, uh, what your agenda is if you're planning to go to a holiday party or if you're planning to go to a convention because you may be thinking about the end of your career. You know, women are much more likely to be victim of sexual harassment uh, because uh, more often 
um, because they more often are more vulnerable and insecure positions. They more often lack confidence and more often have been socialized to suffer in silence. That means they've been programmed. I mean, women are still paid less than men on average for the same job. And that's not right. I mean, it's not right. Uh, they're, they're people. And, and in order to understand why women endure the vast majority of sexual harassment, it is important to look at some of the underlying causes of it. Uh, violence and male uh, self-perception, the relationship between the sexes in many countries around the world includes a considerable amount of violence against women. Uh, data uh, uh, about the United States, for example, indicate that one out of every 10 women are raped or sexually assaulted during their lives while more than half of all women living with men have experienced a battering or similar incident of domestic violence. Now, that is a worldwide statistic. Violence by men against women exists in the workplace as it does in other settings. You know, some scholars uh, uh, um, suggest that male uh, hostility towards women in the workplace is closely connected to male attitudes about the proper role of a man in society. And so surveys on men's perception of masculinity carried out in the U.S., for example, indicate that the leading definition of masculinity is being a good provider of your family and not how many women you can conquer. You know, uh, uh, the, the, the feminist drive for economic equality as a threat to their traditional role, you know, the, sexual harassment is a form of violence perceived as self-protection. And so it's important, you know, the problem of sexual harassment relates to the roles in which are attributed to men and women in social and economic life, which in turn directly and indirectly affects women's positions in the labor market. And I think what we're beginning to see is more of an equality, more of a balance where we're starting to see, especially in the media, more women, especially on television, more women empowered. And that is important for us to understand that that is the wave of how this world is moving. We are evolving into a new decade. And those people that come from the dinosaurs that come from way back when, when men were men and women were women and we all had these roles that we played, we're not in that world anymore. We're just not moving to that. We're in a very primitive stage of change. But the deal is, is that we have to begin to make peace with the fact that this is not tolerable behavior if it's not consensual. Okay. You know, uh, focusing on the economics of men's work and women's work exposes sexual harassment as a way for the men to harass women, to express their, their resentment, or to try to reassert control when they view women as their economic competitors. You know, despite uh, impediments women face in obtaining employment, there's been a massive influx of women into the labor force in the 60s and in the 70s especially. That's when it really, really began, not only in the U.S., but on a global scale. scale. So when women's entry into the workforce has been prompted by necessity. And so since many families cannot make ends meet if the wife and the husband do not both work full time. So the factor is we need to behave ourselves. And not only do we need to behave ourselves, we need to really think about the impact of having affairs and having sexual activity that's exposed. What is that going to do to your family? What is that going to do to your children? What is that going to do to your future ability to make money? And, and so the bottom line is your very survival is at stake on this very decision of how 
we behave. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get in more details. We're going to ba- basically uh, look at uh, the uh, the profiles of sexual offenders and people that uh, do sexual harassment. Come back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but... If you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about sexual misconduct. And, you know, the deal is, is that... uh, you know, male workers who harass a woman on the job or, or even uh, uh, gay workers who harass people of the same sex um, are doing more than uh, annoying that person. They're reminding that person of their vulnerability and creating tensions that make the job more difficult and it make it the, the, that person hesitant to seek higher paying jobs where they may uh, – perceive the tension as even greater. And in short, sexual harassment creates a climate of intimidation and repression. So a woman or a woman or a person who is a target of sexual harassment often goes through the same process of victimization as one who suffered from rape or battery 
or uh, gender-related crimes, frequently blaming themselves and doubling, uh, doubting their own self-worth. You know, women who've been employed in fields that are traditionally considered women's work, such as waitresses or secretaries, they're often uh, given menial, degrading tasks, and they're often called demeaning names, and they're uh, led to believe that a certain amount of male domination and sexism is normal. And all of this reinforces the idea that women workers are of little value in the workplace. So women who try to break into traditionally all-male work such as construction jobs or medicine or investment banking, often suffer even more intense harassment clearly aimed at forcing them to leave. So the sexual harassment often accomplishes informal, uh, informally what laws against uh, sex-based discrimination theoretically prohibits. Gender-based uh, requirements for a job, you know, a woman subjected to sexual harassment uh, endures a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of degradation. Uh, a whole lot of hostility that the male co-workers don't have to endure, and it makes it just uh, much harder to compare for the job or for advancement. So even a woman who reveals sexual harassment or sexual deviation may feel insecure in their job simply because they've done that, that they've revealed it, and uh, all of a sudden it's on the table, and people are starting to see it, and... uh, you know, uh, they they look at that person as messing with the workforce. But, you know, let's just try to be honest. It is important. And, and I know that out there in this life, all of us, every person has stepped over the line in some way or the other, in one way or the other, whether verbally, whether physically, whether touching, whatever, where the other party was not willing. You know, whether it's looking at someone or writing a, a letter or, or writing a note or an email or whatever, everybody has done something stupid. Um, but the bottom line is, is that, and I'm not, I don't mean everybody, not every single person in the world, but, but people have done that to some degree in some way, to some small degree or some large degree in this life. Uh, the real deal is, is what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Can you stop that behavior and reprogram your life? Well, the consequences to have sexual misconduct and be a perpetrator is becoming greater and greater and greater. Look at your family, look at your home, look at your finances, and look at the fact that many opportunities in your life will shut down if that behavior becomes acceptable to you. So now, what is the characteristics of a sexual harasser? Well... Um, first of all, a sex defender of children, uh, basically, they, these are adults who seem preoccupied with children. And they're usually single adults who work or volunteer with children's clubs, activities, frequently spend their free time doing special things with kids. Sometimes it's adults who spend time volunteering with youth groups or do not have children in those groups. Uh, Sometimes the red flags would be adults who seem to engage in frequent contact with children, casual touching, caressing, wrestling, tickling, combing hair, or having children sit on their lap. Uh, Adults who act like children when when they're with children who allow children to do questionable or inappropriate things. Uh, Oftentimes characteristics of of, uh, offenders of children um, are people who want to take your children on special outings too frequently or plan activities that would include being alone with the child. 
these are usually adults who have, do not have children, but seem to know too much about the current fads or the music uh, uh, popularity that children listen to. And also many times these are adults that your children seem to like for reasons you don't understand. And these are often adults who seem able to infiltrate families and social functions, and they're always available to watch your kids. And most of the time, many of the times, these are people who are relatives and very close friends. Most of the time, people that will have contact with your children are people that you know and that people that have exposure to your children that they probably should not. So you need to rethink what are the signs of a person that I have in my life that may be around my children? And you really want to think about that from that perspective because you're the only one that's going to be able to stop it. So a sexual harasser, um, it comes from a, there's a uh, basically thing called a, a dark triad. And, and this is a, a personality trait. And it's actually a Three and one, which is uh, narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. And the, the first two are probably familiar to you. Narcissism is an inflated view of one's own talents coupled with a lack of empathy and a deep urgency for approval. Narcissists don't care if you like them, but they do need you to think they're powerful and worthy of admiration. Narcissists find a way to, to justify sexual harassment if they think they've been deprived of sexual experience they deserve. They, they just can't fathom that someone wouldn't be interested in the opportunity to, to get attention from them. And then the next is, is psychopathy, which re revolves around two things. And once again, we're talking about the characteristics of a sexual harasser. They have a, a fearless dominance and aggressive impulsivity. In other words, psychopaths are audacious. They're manipulative exploiters. They too have no empathy, but excel at mimicking the correct emotions to exploit their victims. And psychopaths sexually harass for one reason. It's because they want to. If the opportunity presents itself or they can create the opportunity, they'll take full advantage of it. And now finally, there's Machiavellianism, named after uh, basically an Italian Renaissance politician called uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. And in his masterwork, The Prince, it describes an unscrupulous, deceitful political philosophy with an eye on long-term goals at any cost. And you combine these three traits and you're met with a very enthusiastic person for exploitation, deception, manipulation, coupled with an indifferent blindness to the feelings of others and all wrapped up nicely in a bow of grandiosity. In other words, the perfect recipe for sexual harassment indeed is if you look at a study of almost 2,000 everyday community members, research found unsurpassingly that each of the dark triad characteristics added to a tendency to sexually harass others. Um, so that is number one ingredient of a sexual harasser characteristic. The, the other one is a moral disengagement. And this is another big, huge characteristic. Moral disengagement is, is basically a slippery slope. It's a cognitive process by which individuals justify their own corruption and create their own version of reality where moral principles don't apply to them. So moral disengagement was first proposed by uh, Albert Bandera, who was a psychologist um, back in, in history, applied to sexual harassment in several parts. First, it comes from moral justification, 
or portraying harassment as an acceptable action. You know, so if you think of Harvey Weinstein's lines, uh, uh, I came of age in the 60s and 70s when all the rules about the behavior and the workplace were different. That is an excuse that he grew up in the 60s and the 70s and it was acceptable back then and now it should be acceptable now. I mean, come on, we're not stupid. Uh, he, He had to have realized that Uh, He must have been delusional because basically he just failed to evolve with everybody else. Maybe it was because of the money that he had and the opportunities he could create to make people famous and make women famous. He took – he was obviously a very ugly man and ugly inside and out and uh, basically a pig and and, uh, took advantage of every possible situation in a psychopathic way to set it up in order to be able to take advantage of women. You know, in the next thing is uh, euthanism, e- euphemistic labeling, using uh, sanitized terms for naming their behavior. L- like uh, uh, Bill Cosby would say, his uh, sexual assaults were rendezvous. You know, that softened language gives them a sense of it wasn't as bad as you're portraying it. You know, that's no excuse. It, it, that means that it's okay to do that behavior when you use that, that uh, soft labeling. There's another thing that's a characteristic, which is the displacement of responsibility. And basically that attributes the harassment to outside forces beyond their control. Uh, You know, with Weinstein, for instance, uh, that was the culture then. That's how he referred to it, that that was the culture then. Well, it's not the culture now. And that doesn't mean it's acceptable. Uh, There's also advantageous comparison, which is the inconsistence that their behavior could have been put been worse and that the distortion of the consequences where individuals minimize the harm wrought by their actions and their victims. And, and, and we're, what we're seeing uh, these days is these lame apologies that, yes, I'm very sorry. It wasn't all that, you know, you portrayed it, but there's enough truth there. There's not individual apologies for what they've really done and I don't think there's a real understanding of the damage that took place in their actions. Uh, Matt Lauer did the same thing. Charlie Rose did the same thing. They all use these broad uh, displacement of responsibility but taking responsibility but not being specific. Um, Really not taking a full uh, uh, responsibility for the situation. So, um, and finally, there's dehumanization and the attribution of uh, the attribution of blame, which respectively eliminates the concern for the victim, and it blames the victim for the incident. You know, uh, Bill O'Reilly did both of these when he commented that women uh, who was r- raped and 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 killed was moronic because she was wearing a mini skirt and a halter top, and that every predator in the world is going to pick up on that. Well, that's kind of crazy. That does not. That is no excuse. Just because a woman is attractive or wearing attractive clothing doesn't mean that she wants every man to be oogling her and doesn't mean that she is suggesting uh, that every man approach her. You know, maybe she uh, is dressing that way to make herself feel better. Maybe she's dressing that way to get attention but not expecting to get these predators to come after them. You know, uh, What's wrong with dressing sexy or dressing uh, in a sense that is good looking? You know, it's nice to be a good looking person. It's good that people can be attractive, but that doesn't mean it's a call for 
uh, sexuality from each other. And we've got to manage that animalistic impulse if we're going to live in a safe society. You know, uh, the end result, harassers have no trouble sleeping at night because through moral disengagement, uh, they rest assured that they did nothing wrong because they have excused it out and that their actions were normal and deserved and that they didn't cause any harm. You know, the mind is very tricky. You know, we often choose behaviors that match our values, but sometimes through moral disengagement, we change those values to justify our behavior. And this is how sexual harassers can maintain their view of themselves as decent, even morally upstanding people. And so, you know, the deal is we, we, we as people have impulses and we have sexuality in our nature and we have to be able to come to grips with the emotional management of that animal. And a lot of people uh, learn misappropriate things in childhood and misappropriate behaviors in childhood, and they take that on and then they project it onto other people. And you know, folks, we are impulsive. We are human. We make. We are have errors. We all do bad things. We all do stupid things. The deal is is try to narrow it down. Uh, to where you're not doing things that are going to destroy your life and destroy your family because that's the bottom line. You know, your children count on you. If you're in a job that is responsible, people count on you. Customers count on you. And it's important for you to self-regulate and for you to maintain integrity because if you don't manage that, all is lost. And, And truly, that is one of the greatest challenges in our lives. You know, there's another characteristic, which is uh, employment in a male-dominated field. You know, sexual harassment is well-documented to be more prevalent in traditionally masculine fields such as the military, police, fire, uh, surgery, finances, and even more recently, high-tech and upper echelons of the entertainment industry. And so this, uh, this isn't nothing new. You know, a 1987 study of 100 female factory workers found that women who worked as machinists in male-dominated positions reported being harassed significantly more than women who worked in the assembly line, which was more gender equal. Now, there's another one uh, is people that have hostile attitudes towards women or towards gays or uh, towards men, men on men or women on women. Even though psychology is a science, it's not totally objective. And in most uh, part, because research is done by people, people respond to and draw conclusions from their culture and their biases. And so what happens is uh, Basically, uh, there was a study back in uh, Bainfield, Germany, conducted in 2012 at the University of Bainfield, testing um, whether harassment was driven by what researchers called a short-term mating orientation, basically ac- academic uh, euphemism for love, and uh, love them and leave them, and it was driven by something called a hostile sexism. And so the researchers asked about 100 heterosexual male college students to chat online with Julia, an attractive 23-year-old woman. And uh, with that chat exchange, participants were asked to choose among three different written messages about Julia. The men were also told that that this was a memory test and that Julia would later be uh, tested on uh, memory recall to create an air of competition. But they were told the previous studies had found greater gender differences. For each message, the men uh, chose among a joke, a comment, or a neutral statement. Now, some of the exchanges were carefully... Uh, collaborated to include opportunities to harass, 
For example, one combination, the joke was a sexist joke and uh, about women in general. And, you know, and it was like, what's the difference between a woman having her period and a terrorist? Uh, with a terrorist, you can negotiate. <laughs> it also included a terrible pickup line like, you're a sweet chocolate and I've got the uh, the feeling for you. And thankfully, there was a simple neutral statement. You seem like a cheerful person. And I'm going to give you the results of this. The results found that men who were more likely to send a bad pickup line were also more likely to agree with the statements, sex without love is okay, or I would consider having sex with a stranger if I was safe and she was attractive. So, you know, now those who chose to send the sexist jokes also scored highly on the short-term sexual attitudes questionnaire, but there was a more uh, scored highly on the question of uh, hostile uh, sexism, endorsing items like women are too easily offended and the world would be a better place if women supported men more and criticized them less. In other words, purely sexual motives uh, predicted unwanted sexual attention, but belligerent motives anticipated both unwanted and sexual attention and gender harassment. So to sum it up, uh, harassment indicates a willingness to exploit and manipulate as a way to maintain or gain power. And it demonstrates that carelessness towards the victims aims to keep them in their place. And that's a bad motive. All right, come back and we're going to break down uh, how to report sexual harassment. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You know, Ed, we're talking about sexual misconduct, and now we're getting to the stage where we're going to talk about confronting it and reporting it. And what's really important is to understand what is the intention of the person who is harassing and what and how? What and how? How did you decide that it was okay to talk to me like that? What made you think that I would receive 
this information well. It's important to be able to ask that question because it's not really that offensive or even using the word I prefer. You know, I really prefer you would not talk to me like this. I would prefer that you never do this again. You know, being able to confront adult behavior in a non-destructive way where it doesn't destroy our lives, it doesn't destroy everything is, is a very good thing. It doesn't mean it's right for a sexual harasser to do that. But as a person, um, you know, you want to you want to try to nip it in the bud if you can. And if you can't, then it needs to be something that is reported and almost instantly um, to 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 HR or to another manager in a business or uh, maybe even through a lawyer or maybe even through a letter to your employer. Understand, you know, all lawyers have to all businesses at this day and age have to have guidelines and policies on sexual harassment. If not, there are federal guidelines, there's state guidelines, and all of those are applicable by law. You know, this is a very serious thing. It does a lot of damage to a lot of people. So, you know, reporting sexual harassment, one of the main obstacles to understanding the true uh, uh, prevalence of sexual harassment and to combating the problem is the low incidence of reporting. And it's well known that even in countries in which sexual harassment is legally recognized problem, most victims do not speak out. And, and so there's three main reasons that that usually happens. Number one is women or people often believe that no one will do anything about the problem. And if women are harassed in an organization or in a leadership organization does not speak out against the harassment, it does not institute procedures for reporting harassment, but does not act quickly on the reports of the harassment. So most victims uh, are very discouraged. Also, there's other reason. Uh, people are afraid they will be blamed. You know, blaming the victim. This has historically been the strategy for countering rape charges. Women are told they invited the rape or the harassment by their dress or their demeanor. Um, You know, because women see this happen to others, they have good reason to believe it will also happen to them. So in the United States, the treatment, uh, for instance, of Anita Hill in the Senate Judicial Committee was a strong lesson, especially towards women, that not only were they not to be believed, but they saw also will be blamed for Clarence Thomas becoming a uh, on our Supreme Court. Also, there's another reason. Um, people do, do want to hurt the harasser. And, and the reason derives partly from the traditional saying, boys will be boys or girls will be girls, you know, which, which is used as an excuse for inappropriate behavior by males. You know, girls are taught to keep silent and to overlook bad behavior by boys. You know, Carol Jillian's uh, research indicates that women think about the possible negative consequences to all persons involved, and the negative consequences to the harasser may not may be inconsequential. What's in, what's important to understand is usually the person that's being harassed feels sorry for the other people in that person's life, and the 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 what they would do, and being put in a very uncomfortable position of having to affect not only the person that they're dealing with, but all the other people that uh, they have responsibility for in their life. So here's some confrontation suggestions. Uh, you you want to use strong body language. Look the harasser in the eye. Speak in a strong, clear voice. Show assertiveness and strength through your voice. And I'm not saying tone. I'm not saying body language of any great thing. But your facial expressions and your body language needs to be very serious. You want to project confidence. You want to project calm. Even though you do not feel that way, it is important to appear calm, serious, and confident. Do not apologize or make an excuse or ask a question. 
you do not need to say sorry for how you feel or what you want to be. So you want to be firm and you do not need to respond to diversions or questions or threats or blaming or guilt trapping. Stay on your own agenda, stick to your point and repeat your statement and then leave. And when you're done, success is how you define it. If you said what you needed to say and you're ready to leave, do so. And so here's some things that you could say. Name the behavior. State that it is wrong. For example, uh, do not uh, touch me. That is harassment. Do not touch my butt. That is sexual harassment. Tell them exactly what you want. Say, for example, please move away from me. Please stop touching me and go stand or go stand over there. You know, turn what they say or do around into a joke, you know, or make a a clever statement in response. Women in France uh, uh, was grabbed by a man with his uh, friends on a street corner. When she turned around and said, congratulations, it's, it's that, is that the first time you've ever touched a woman? This Frenchman laughed and none of the men bothered her ever again when she saw them in the future. You know, use an ABC statement, very concrete about uh, uh, A and Z, A and C, by the way. So you want to tell the harasser what the problem is, state the effect, and state what you want. Here's an example. When you, you make kissing noises at me, it makes me feel uncomfortable i want you to say hello ma'am not uh, not from now on and talk to me as a normal person i don't want you to be addressing me as somebody uh, you know you ought to identify you know the perpetrator man in the yellow shirt stop touching me you know whatever it is if it's somebody you don't know you want to tell them don't you know hey you i'm talking to you the person in this shirt and pants don't touch me you know, attack the behavior, not the person. Tell them that what, what they're doing uh, you do not like. You're standing too close. Rather blame them as a person. You're such a jerk. If you say that kind of thing, that's not going to get necessarily the best reaction. Just let them know. Address the behavior. You're standing too close to me. I don't like that. You also uh, want to use uh, a, a, an approach like, I beg your pardon, or I can't believe you just said that. Uh, you must have me confused with someone to whom you think you can speak that way to. And, uh, you know, use uh, uh, facial expressions of shock, dismay, and disgust. You know, um, um, you could also use like a Socratic question. That's so interesting. Can you explain why you think you can put your hand on my leg? You know, that's very simple stuff here. You know, buy a notebook and write in bold letters on the cover, sexual harassment. Take out the notebook when you're harassed and ask the harasser to repeat themselves so you can write it down. And you make a big show of asking them for the date, the time, and checking the place you're at. If you do that, I will guarantee you most harassers are going to run for the border. (laughs) So, you know, why people don't report, they, they feel helpless, they feel powerless, they don't know uh, how to report the harassment. Many times they, they think their complaint won't be taken seriously, they don't trust their own perceptions of what happened, maybe misunderstand. They, they don't want to rock the boat, you know, and uh, they're often afraid the harasser or others, such as the harasser's friends or family, or they don't trust the system. They don't think their school or workplace or, or environment will support them. 
you know, many times even family does not support somebody that's being harassed within their own family. They don't believe that the uncle is, would ever do something like that or the aunt would ever do something like that or the cousin. They defend the other, but they don't defend the person that's being uh, assaulted or harassed. And that is so sad. I can't tell you how many gazillion times I have heard that a parent did not take their child's information seriously or blame the child for what they uh, were hearing. So what females are likely to be harassed? You know, uh, it's, it's usually based on desire or dominance, which is really on the mind of men who sexually harass women. Well, women, you know, traditional series say desire uh, is more about establishing dominance over women who uh, uh, breach feminine ideals. And uh, but however, there was a recent study uh, by a uh, Jennifer Birdall, Dr. Jennifer Birdall, in an article in the uh, Journal of Applied Psychology, Volume 93, Number Two. In three studies, Birdall, uh, Birdall uh, uh, a management professor at the University of Toronto, found that women who have more masculine personality traits experience the most sexual harassments. It's really a mechanism for making people who have crossed the line go back to the other side. In the, in the first study, Birdall established personal uh, personality gender by giving 175 students the short form for the burn sexual inventory, a, a survey listing 10 characteristics considered more desirable for men in our society and 10 contr- uh, characteristics more desirable for women and 10 neutral ca- characteristics desirable for either sex. The masculine Designations included items such as assertive, such as leadership abilities, forceful, strong personality. The female characteristic included items such as gentle, tender, warm, affectionate. The students basically indicated how often they displayed each characteristic and then answered the questions about how often they experienced such forms of harassment, sexual comments, jokes, attempts to establish a romantic or a sexual uh, relationship despite their attempts to discourage it, and poor treatment because they refused to have sexual relations. So women who scored highest on masculine traits were one and a half times more likely to have experienced harassment than those who scored low. And so, you know, masculine-seeming women may seem more sensitive to harassment. Um, and, and so they may, the man may feel safer in crossing the line with them because they can relate to them differently. They also want to put them in their place. And that is not a good thing. And so uh, these women cross the gender line when both in terms of occupation and personality. And so that was the vast majority of the people who actually receive harassment. Now, how men are harassed, you know, between 1992 and 2008, the percentage of sexual harassment charges filed by men with the EEOC, uh, equal opportunity uh, uh, doubled from 8% to 16%. While some people may think sexual harassment of male employees is a joke, it is a real issue. And such conduct has serious legal consequences for employers. There are instances when women sexually harass men, but the increase is due mainly to reports of men harassing other men. It's also called same-sex harassment. And the EEOC tracks the number of men and women who file claims with the agency, but doesn't always keep track of the gender of the harasser. However, the, the EEOC has recognized a growing trend in the number of men alleging same-sex sexual harassment. And so by exposing men to taunts about their genitalia, their sexually suggestive stimulations, lewd comments, 
The men penetrating the, the, uh, perpetrating the harassment are seeking to em- embarrass and target the male victims and, and not uh, uh, sexually stimulate or flirt with them. Sexual harassment is about using power in a way to hurt somebody. And so it's very important to understand that, uh, you know, that can put a person in a place where they are fearing uh, what can do, what, what this can do to their life. So how do you stop it? Identify the situation. If you are a person witnessing harassment, identify the situation, check on the victim, step up, speak up, bring others in, and take the time to educate everybody about its effects. That's our show. Our next show is stripping down the labels and connecting to the person. I'm going to have a special guest on this next show. Uh, Lauren Nile is going to be on this show. She is a wonderful, very seasoned uh, person. She's uh, written uh, books, and she's basically taking on the sense of prejudice and labels and how that has affected her life. She has a show on on uh, on. On the Variety Channel, uh, her name is Lauren Nile, and I'd love for you to listen to her. But come in and listen to the show that we're going to be doing together. It's going to be a, a real great show. I, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgb. L, uh, at drgbmft. Now remember, all sexual harassers should be placed on the terrorist watch list. I also practice safe sex. Always use commas and never miss a period. That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.